You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, Northside, it was about two and a half years ago, October of 2019, when John Presco, our small group involvement minister, took a group from our church on a medical mission trip, and they went to Piedras Negras, Mexico. And while they were there serving and working with Crossroads Missions, they encountered some refugees. They met people who had come there who were in desperate situations, and they were seeking asylum in the United States through the Migrant Protection Program. Many were professionals from Venezuela. They were able in their desperation to afford to fly out of the country or, or to spend their money on expensive travel arrangements. But some of them were just spending everything they had to flee from their homes just to get there. Crossroads Missions was helping a local church that was feeding these refugees. And while John was there, one of the families that they met was Adonai and Naliska and their four children. Ionette, who's 15, Mateo, who's now 10, Miguel, 7, Erica, 5. A beautiful family. Adonai would speak English as he talked to the team, and he was building relationships with people there, and he loved basketball. And we all know, if you know John Presco, our small group ball minister, that's his love language. That's his heart language. So they became friends, and they began to talk with each other. John heard how the Venezuelan government had taken over the oil company where he, and, and where he had his job, and they were even firing people and letting people go. And, and he heard even more what was happening in the country as people were becoming more and more impoverished, as those in power were becoming more and more rich. Costs of everything had come, became so high that he couldn't buy gas to heat his home or cook food, and they were in a desperate situation. They had to leave Venezuela. And John and Adonai, as after John left there, kept in contact through Facebook with occasional conversations, thinking that maybe he would be there just for a short time. But he found out that Adonai was still there. And so in March of 2020, when John and the team were to go back on our mission trip to Mexico, it got canceled because of COVID-19. The MPP program came to a halt. Many of the refugees that were in that process of coming in the United States, suddenly it, it was stopped. And so what they thought was maybe going to be two months of, of transition suddenly turned into 22 plus months. They, had to, they found jobs in, in the area and the community, started working in the factories, but he was struggling to make ends meet, even though both he and his wife were working for their family of six. Then came 2021. John returned on another trip in March of 2021, almost a year and a half after meeting this family for the first time. He saw them at Sunday at church. They shared a meal together. John listened as he heard stories of the refugees' travels just to get to Piedras Negras and the, and the plans that they were trying to make to get in the United States. And he learned in that process, Adonai did not have much money. He didn't have much money saved up. He did not have much of a plan. He just knew that he was just trying to get his family into a better opportunity in the United States. And John said as he left and, and drove away from Mexico, that as he was driving, God just kept putting Adonai and his family on his heart. He just couldn't get this family out of his mind. And the questions in John's mind began to roll. Where, where would they end up? How would they get there? Where would they live? How, how would they be able to find jobs? I think the questions that were on Adonai's 
heart and his mind were now on John's. Adonai had recently given his heart to Christ, and John was thinking, where would they find a healthy church that would love them and care for them? And then John began to ask questions like, what about Northside? John, what are you going to do? This is your brother in Christ. And John just began to say, how can I help a family who can barely speak any English? Are you really asking me to move them to Springfield, Missouri? This is what John was wrestling with the Lord John reached out to Adonai and pitched the idea of them coming to Springfield. And John went to work of spreading the word. And Adonai talked to his wife and they said they would, they want, they would come. So John began to spread word with people here at Northside and tell them what was happening and what God was laying on his heart, having no idea how this was going to work out. Word got to Tim Newkirk, who attends here at Northside. And in the lobby one Sunday, he said to John, you know, they could possibly work. I could help them maybe get a job in one of my plants, either in Corpus Christi, Texas, or Owasso, Oklahoma. And John was like, Owasso, Oklahoma? You have a plant in Owasso, Oklahoma? He said, yes. Well, not only had John been in the ministry there years ago, but there were five people from Owasso, from the church there, that were on the trip, and they knew Adonai. They knew his family. And Zeb Myers from our church here at Northside has since gone to First Church there in Owasso, and he works as their outreach and missions minister. He does this kind of stuff. And so John told Zeb the story. Zeb got excited. I know those of you who know Zeb. That's hard for you to imagine, Zeb getting excited. But he got fired up. And he started working to find them housing and to make arrangements for their very first week in Owasso. And then John got a call that this family, that they'd be crossing the border in two days. And John got to think, how are we going to get them there? And well, John had an excursion. That excursion has since gone to be with the Lord, unfortunately, as a couple of weeks ago. So we're praying about that. But anyway, it, it, it could hold eight people. And John said, we got to go pick them up and bring them to Owasso, Zeb. And so on, on Wednesday, April 21st of this past year at 2 p.m., John heads out. He picked up Zeb at 5 p.m. They hit the road, 10 more hours of driving. They got to the border. They crossed the border around 4.30 a.m. They headed to Crossroads to Piedra Angular to get a couple of hours of sleep. And then they were up at 7 a.m. to go pick up Adonai and his family to cross the border. John and Zeb took the family to lunch, purchased a couple booster seats at Walmart for the two younger kids. They were off to Owasso. The family's emotions were a combination of excitement, anticipation, and fatigue which was also the emotions of John and Zeb as well. The reality had set in. They traveled and finally got to Owasso at 2 a.m. on Friday morning. John and Zeb got just a little bit of a sleep before they were back at it Friday morning. And then John headed back to Springfield. He was here by 2 p.m. on Friday, Wednesday to Friday, 48 hours on just a few hours of sleep. John said, thank you, Lord, for keeping us alert and safe for the entire journey. Thank you for coming through with so many details where you showed your presence. Since then, Adonai and his family, they're in Owasso. They moved into a three-bedroom rental home. It's one mile away from their workplace. The kids have all been immunized, and, and they, they've already started school. They're active at First Church. The, her, the church raised money to help them get started here in the U.S. Many more gifts from you here at Northside help supply their house. The Prescos even took, uh, last year, their own seven-passenger van, which at that moment they didn't need any longer. Probably do now, but anyway, donated it to the family, to Adonai and Eliska. And that family is in a better place. Isn't that awesome? 
how God worked through that and did that. Because John felt called, he felt compelled, he felt moved to take personal responsibility to do something for this family. And if you were to ask me why, why would John feel compelled? Why couldn't he get it off his mind? Why was he so moved? He can give you those thoughts and I can affirm them. It's because he knows our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father expects us to act justly and rightly. And you just can't help but see it when you're reading through the Bible like we are right now as a church family through this Bible engagement. Because right now we're in the prophets, the pre-exile prophets, the one who, who were speaking to Israel from about 680 B.C. to 800 B.C. before the exile in 587 B.C. when Jerusalem fell, the temple was destroyed. And these prophets that are speaking to Israel, warning them, they're telling them why God's judgment and punishment is coming to them if they don't repent. The prophets are so clear. And one of the issues that comes up over and over and over again throughout the prophets is that they're not acting with justice and instead they're participating with injustice. It's this theme over and over again. It's why we're in this little series we're in right now called Revealing Justice, God's Justice. Because last week, we started in chapter 1 of Isaiah. That's where we were in our reading, where we see God is furious with the people. He's hiding his eyes from their prayers. He's hating their festivals and worship with all of his being. I mean, the, the, the words could not be stronger. And the reason is because of their lack of justice for the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed, the fatherless, the widow. And the reason God is so upset with them is because their participation with injustice of his own people show that either they, they didn't know their own heavenly father or they sure didn't love him. Because if you know him and if you love him, then you're going to act justly. You're going to do what is right because that's who he is. It's embedded in his very identity of who he is as God. And it's what it means to know him and to follow him. It's, it's at the very base level of what it means to know and follow God. It's to act justly and rightly. And whenever you talk about justice, there's different aspects of justice. There's different ways that it can be applied. Like, you know, in our government, government, their responsibility, according to the Bible, is to act justly, to carry out justice. That's a role of government. And how you relate to justice with the government depends on if you're innocent or guilty. Because there's two aspects of justice that the government is responsible for. One is distributive justice, which is protecting the right of law-abiding citizens. That, that is just called distributive justice. It's protecting the rights of law-abiding citizens. But there's another aspect of justice, and it's retributive justice, which is ensuring that the guilty get what they deserve. It's about punishment. Well, the Bible supports that, that the government should do that. Most governments in our world don't. But biblical uh, government authority would say that's what government is to do. But when we talk about biblical justice, it's just so much broader than that. It goes so much beyond that. Timothy Keller says that, that biblical justice is rooted in the very character of God. And it's the outworking of that character, which is never less than just. When we carry out biblical justice. It's, it's who our God is. And so what is it? I'll just remind you of a couple of things I said last week. It is a number of things. It's courageously making other people's problems your own problems. 
It, it's about transformation. It, it, it's about bringing life where there's death and beauty where there's brokenness. Biblical justice is about loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. N.T. Wright says it's setting wrongs right. To act justly is to do what is right in God's eyes, which leads us to right relationships with God and with others. This is what God expects of his people. And this is why his heart is broken and he is so upset because his own people are going against his own identity because they're not acting rightly or justly. And I just want to look at this a little deeper today. In fact, we were in Isaiah 1 last week. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 10 this week. We're going to start there before we go to another prophet here in just a moment. But in Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, we get some woes coming to Israel, to his people. And he says in this text, he says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey, robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Yet for all of this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. Isaiah is telling his people, your unjust laws, your oppressive decrees, you depriving the poor of rights, taking advantage of widows, the fatherless, it will be punished by God. The hand is still upraised. You better cringe. You better repent. You better turn. Amos, which was written to the northern kingdom of Israel that was on the verge of destruction, in his word to God's people, would say this in Amos chapter 2, 6 through 8. He says, this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments that have been taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Three sins are listed here specifically. The injustices against poor and needy. They're taking as, as, as a pledge garments. And they're laying them out. And so people are freezing to death. They're cold because they're holding on to the pledge, even though God's word had told them not to. He talks about sexual immorality. And he talks about idolatry. All three sins listed together and the injustices against the poor, the oppression against those who are in need. God equates it with these sins of idolatry and sexual immorality. It's just as bad. In chapter 5 of Amos 10 through 13, and, and then in verses 21 and 23 through 24, Amos goes on to say this. He says, There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you've built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you've planted lush vineyards, lush vineyards you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. 
Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Why worship me if you don't even know who I am or what I desire? Let justice roll like a river. Let righteousness be that never-failing stream. Gary Hagen in his book, Good News About Injustice, says that the Hebrew words for justice and righteousness are almost interchangeable, both indicating a a conformity to God's standards of holiness and and moral excellence. This is what God desires for us. And, And we see this throughout the prophets. And if you've been reading with us through our Bible reading and all these pre-exile prophets, you're seeing this. I mean, you're reading about it over and over again. And it's going to keep going. It carries on through those who wrote during the exile, even post-exile. Zechariah is saying the same things. We're going to see that throughout the series. But it's not just in the prophets. It's even in the law that we read months ago. It's there too. Shane Wood talks about how the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 are then followed up in chapters 22 through 23 with all of these outworkings of the Ten Commandments, these smaller commands that are the outworkings of the Ten. And what you see there is let justice roll like a river. It's the same themes. Like in Exodus 22 where God commands economic protection. Economic protection. That, That if you lend to someone in need, don't charge interest. That was God's commands to his people. And how often have we, as a church family, helped people who are in need, who had to get a loan because of their desperate situation, and they're being charged exorbitant interest rates by the loaners in our culture. And we pay those off to help them in those situations. God says, don't do it. If you loan them a cloak, don't give it back to them by the end of the day. Don't let them be cold or or freeze. God gives economic protection. God also gives in Exodus 23, judicial protection. Don't give a false charge or punish innocent people. God says he will not acquit the guilty. There must be judicial protection for there to be justice. In Exodus 23, he also gives foreigners protection. Don't oppress foreigners because God says, you know what it was like to be foreigners. He's going back to Israel's own story, their own identity when they were slaves in Egypt. He's like, you know what it was like to be foreigners in a foreign land. How much more should you not oppress or take advantage of foreigners when they come into your land? I mean, obviously there's an immigration problem that's in our country right now, but also as people of the Lord, as, as people who love Jesus, we should know that this is an incredible opportunity Because one of our practices in our global outreach is welcoming. Because it's an opportunity to share the gospel, to help people know Jesus who are coming in who don't yet know him. What a role of the church for us to do that right now. And you know, interestingly enough, I think we should also remember that in the New Testament, we're called the foreigners. We're strangers here. This is not our home. We are foreigners here. In Exodus 23, God gives work protection. When he talks about working on these six days, but on the seventh day, do not work give rest. The workers are to be refreshed. The Sabbath was to protect workers. It's, it's justice. In Leviticus 19, he goes on to talk about giving uh, provision protection. So he says, when, when you reap a harvest, don't reap to the edges of the field and don't go back over your vineyard a second time to pick up the grapes that were, that were fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. God is giving opportunities for us to be generous 
and to be helpful to others. And he ties it. He says, for this reason, for I am your God. He ties it to his own identity and to our, our own identity as his followers. And so what we see throughout Scripture when it comes to biblical justice is we see it in the prophets, we see it in the law, but we also see it in the New Testament in Jesus. Like in Matthew 23, when Jesus condemns the Pharisees because they were not acting justly. And look what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus says, look, you're tithing from your plants. I mean, that's good. That's impressive. But he goes on to say, but you are neglecting the more important weightier matters. What are those? What are the weightier matters? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. These three working together are essential. Uh, John Tyson on a Twitter post, and this was one Alan showed me. I hadn't seen it yet. He showed it. He said, hey, look at this. And, and he was talking about the three aspects that Jesus talked about, mercy, justice, and faithfulness, and how all three must work together because if you don't have all three working, what you get is something that is a, is a problem. So like if you say, well, hey, I got two out of three. I'm doing pretty good. He says, no, two out of three will lead you always into a problem. It must be all three working together. And here's one of the things that he showed. He said, if you have mercy and faithfulness, if you only have those two, mercy, faithfulness, but not justice, then he called that deficient pietism where you're tone deaf to suffering. It yields no action on behalf of the hurting and the oppressed. You you don't do anything. If all you have is mercy and faithfulness, but no justice, there's no action. He says, on the other hand, if, if what you have is justice and faithfulness only, but no mercy, that's a problem because what you get is harsh activism. It quickly becomes mean spirited and and critical because we're just and we're faithful, but there's no mercy. He says, if you have mercy and justice, but no faithfulness, you got another problem. You got secular humanism. Without faithfulness, it leads to secular humanism where God is excluded, where there's no divine standard to hold actions or ideas up against. But if you have mercy and justice, And faithfulness working together, what you have is kingdom discipleship. You have what the kingdom is like. It allows us to live out our salvation where we're we're personally involved in seeking justice and, and mercy and faithfulness for people. This is what God desires. This is why we see it in the law and in the prophets and with Jesus who came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Where justice is rolling like a river. Righteousness is flowing like a never-failing stream. This is the heart of our God. My friend, uh, Brian Jennings, he's a minister at Highland Park Christian Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, maybe uh, it's probably about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, I was uh, listening to him talk on this topic. And, and he said that, that uh, he had read a book, Jamar Tisby. He said it was a fantastic book on how to fight racism. And he shared a template for justice that applies not just to racism, but to any justice issue. And when he showed it to me, it was, it was called the ARC of Justice. A-R-C was an acronym, ARC. It stood for awareness, relationship, commitment. And, and he was just saying, you know, biblically, if you can at- attack any issue of injustice, 
and approach it with this acronym, ARC, awareness, relationship, commitment. He says it goes a long ways to help us deal with those situations, whether it be something that deals with racism or something that deals with poverty, the poor, the hungry, the immigrant, grieving, mental health, crisis, crisis pregnancy situations, orphans, foster care, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Think, awareness, relationship, commitment. And and what he was saying about this is we've got to grow, first of all, let's talk about this first one, in the area of awareness. You know, we acknowledge you cannot be fully aware of every issue of injustice. It's be impossible to do that, but you can grow. We can all learn. We can become more aware of what's going on. So that when, when we hear people share their hurts or their struggles or their pain about whatever injustice they're dealing with, even, even if it is racism and something like that, and maybe you don't get it. Maybe you don't understand it. Maybe you say, I don't get why they feel this way. It's important to ask, have you made a good faith effort to understand? Are you aware of what's going on with them? Do you understand why they're saying I'm hurt or I'm wounded? We need to grow in awareness. There's so many resources about this that can help us grow in, a, in awareness. Yeah, there's some that we should stay away from because they're not biblically informed and they're not desiring reconciliation. That's not what it's after. But there's other resources where our brothers and sisters in Christ are dealing with these issues. Where our brothers and sisters in Christ who are our friends and our co-laborers in the, in the gospel and in the kingdom, they, they are helping us become more aware of what has happened, what is happening, why there are deep scars and wounds in our culture. And a few of these resources that I found that I would even direct you to, I've not read all of these yet, but I trust the one who has. Uh, Brian Jennings shares these on his website, and it's on the screen here, hptulsa.com slash resources. When you scroll down, you, you, there'll be a section there of resources for reconciliation and uh, help with this. It's hptulsa.com slash resources. I trust him a great deal. That can help us with awareness in these issues. You know, it was probably, honestly, only a year and a half ago, maybe two, when, uh, because back in, when I first heard about this, because in 2021, maybe you heard about this, it was the 100th anniversary, this is in 2021, of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you have heard about the Tulsa Race Massacre? Raise your hands, okay? I'm going to guess that's not even a, maybe a fourth or fifth of our room. And yet, it is, that event is probably, in our nation's history, one of the worst incidents of racial violence, where a swath of Tulsa was burned and destroyed along what, it, what was called Black Wall Street. Over 70 businesses, all but a couple owned by black entrepreneurs, were destroyed. Over $25 million in today's dollars. And what's crazy about this is, uh, I was born in Enid, Oklahoma. Uh, we moved to Joplin when I was about three years old. My mom, she lived for a long time in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with her family there in Tulsa. I spent almost every Thanksgiving and every Christmas in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and had no idea of the racial tension that exists, existed and exists in Tulsa. Had no idea. I had, I'd never even heard of this before. And one of the reasons for that is because it was covered up. I mean, big time covered up. And today, if you were to walk through Greenwood, where these churches, businesses, theaters, homes, and many of its people destroyed, and many people were killed, many of them, 
I mean, it's still a place that's in a lot of pain. The interstate divides it in half now. It goes right through it. And awareness of this, I started learning and watching about this. It helped me understand how this event devastated the black community in that area and a community that was thriving. I mean, they were thriving. And I began to learn that that event, which is now called the the race massacre, up until just a few years ago, it was called a riot. And do you know why it was called a riot? The reason it was called a riot is so that those who lost everything could not claim insurance. They couldn't claim insurance for their destroyed homes and businesses. And you wondered why that whole area is in such poverty. So as a result, here's the impact of that. The average black household in 2021 there in Tulsa has only one-tenth of the wealth of a white household. And the implications that's had on education, security, health care cannot be underestimated. Brian lives there, so he's, he's seeing it himself. He says, if you go north of Admiral Street there in Tulsa, your life expectancy drops by 12 years just by going to the other side of that area. He said, you know what? Brian said, I, I'm not saying you have to blame yourself. White guilt is not healthy or based in the gospel. The idea that we have to point our fingers at everybody and blame everybody, that there's simple, but, or to say that there's simple solutions, none of that is appropriate or helpful. But we as Christians should care. Instead of defensiveness, our first instinct should be to care. And all that can seem overwhelming. And that's why this arc of justice can be so helpful. Starting with awareness, learning, growing. Gary Hogg, in, in his book, Good news about injustice. He was talking about a 2008 landmark report from the United Nations. And in this stunning report that was looking at poor people around the world, it said most poor people in the world live outside the protection of the law. There is no protection of the law for them. And he said, think about how startling that implication is for our world, that most poor people live outside the protection of the law. He said, imagine if you and your family We're living in a state of lawlessness in which there is no one to protect you and or your property or your family because they're excluded from the rule of law. Imagine what that would be like for you. Awareness is important. Awareness opens our eyes, helps us understand it. It, It's the starting point to see things that we've, we didn't see before. And I'm in a constant state of growing and learning and becoming more aware of these things. The second part of that acronym ARC is relationships. Relationships. You know, it's one thing to have knowledge. It's a whole other thing to hear someone tell you their story. You know, where your heart and your head come together when you hear someone's personal story because stories change us. The stories that I've heard, even from my own family and extended family, and friends over the last several years about their personal encounters with injustices or poverty or racism. It's been eye-opening. It's been heartbreaking for me. In fact, I'm hoping with their permission to share a couple of those in, in some coming weeks. Because when you build relationships with someone and you get to know them and their heart and then hear their stories or what's happened to them, you get the benefit of not only a friendship and everything that comes from that, but you also get the reward of learning from them in that process. 
You, you get the, re, the reward of learning a lot about the injustices of our world. And when you hear stories like that, it changes you. So build relationships with people who are different from you, who are in different situations than you, demographics than you, and it will change you. Awareness, relationships. And the last C is commitment. Where when you become aware, when you build relationships, you've got to commit to do something. Faith without works is dead. The gospel doesn't just save us, it transforms us. It calls us to love people as ourselves, to look like Jesus. And, and it's just sometimes easier for us to talk about justice on a macro level, you know, the really big level. That also is when it seems overwhelming. You know, what, what can anyone do about that? It can seem that way. But what if we, for a moment, looked at it on a micro level, a personal level? What if for a moment we looked at our direct involvement where we're addressing individual problems? where we actually commit ourselves to getting involved, which is what John Presco did. I mean, this is the story of, of John and how he was able to help a refugee family. It started with awareness and it moved into relationship. And then he felt this compelling commitment to do something about it and to get involved and to engage. That is the process for every person who's able to help justice roll like a river. And you can just start to brainstorm the possibilities for you and let the Holy Spirit begin to bring them to mind. What would it look like? You know, in Psalm 112, verse 5, it says, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. You know, what would that look like for someone who's been blessed by God financially? How could they help someone who is in need of help? Could they lend freely? Could they give freely? Could they help bring justice in this way? One of the ideas that I heard Brian Jennings mention, even in his community, where you have one-tenth of the income of the average white, white household for the black families that are there, he says, you know, would it be possible for some of our families who are well-off or who are fluent or who have finances and who, who could easily provide for their own children and help them with their education to participate with them in that, could they not do the same thing for another family? They could actually build a relationship, become friends with another family who doesn't have those means at all. Would it not be a small act of justice to set aside some college savings for those kids to help them in their journey as well? He says the Bible just calls us to consider these things. What might it look like for us to be involved, to commit to do something? It's what our Easter offering did this year as it relates to international students who are coming to Ozark Christian College who literally come oftentimes with little to nothing and we're helping to fund their education so they can go back and advance the kingdom and spread the gospel where they go around the world. We, we committed to do something and you did very generously. That's what happened to Wade Landers. He's now with Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri and he saw the need to help boys who had been sexually trafficked. He, he saw where 1.2 million children are trafficked each year for the purpose of sexual exploitation. And that's a conservative estimate on that number. And of that number, they're estimating that 400,000 of those are boys. He thought someone sh should be doing something about that. And he began to look into it. Because of the greed of owners and the lust of clients, it's a booming business. And tragically, what he found is there's little to no help for victimized boys anywhere on the planet. He couldn't find it. And so he committed to do something. And so he started Black Box International in the Dominican Republic, where this is a huge issue because of tourism. 
and everybody who travels there, and now in Haiti as well. And we're now supporting that ministry through Nick and Sarah Vaca, a ministry where IGM locates the boys. They organize the police in that country, the judicial systems to get them involved, to rescue those boys, and then they place them with black box. And if there's not a room, if there's not a place at a black box uh, facility or a house, a home, then they, they're released. But their goal is, is to help them. They're committed to doing something. Isn't that how often it goes? Someone should do something about it. I remember Deb Hafer looking at the number of missionaries who came back from the field and thought someone should do something about it because they're coming back for reasons that we should be able to address that would help them stay. And she came to realize God was telling her, do something. Awareness, relationship, a commitment that we would act and do something about it. Kaylee Morgan is doing something about it. Her family's from Joplin, Missouri. She ran track at Missouri Southern State University. She's now with Be the Bridge in Atlanta, Georgia. And in an article about understanding biblical justice, here's what she said. She said, at the end of the day, Christian or not, Democrat or Republican, male or female, she says, I really do believe we all desire to live in a more just world. She said, truthfully, I went back and forth between using the word loving or using the word just in that last sentence. It's so easy as a Christian to say we all just want love, and that's what God sent Jesus for. There is an irony there because we as Christians can use love as an excuse for inaction when most of the time the word love is used in action form in the Bible. She quotes Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights hero and Christian preacher during the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955 where... Martin Luther King Jr. said this about pursuing justice. He said, whatever we do, we must keep God at the forefront. Let us be Christian in all of our actions. And he said, but I want to tell you this evening that it is not enough for us to talk about love. Love is one of the pivotal points of the Christian faith. faith. There is another side called justice. And justice is really love in calculation. Justice is love correcting that which revolts against love. I love how he said that, that that is what biblical justice is all about. Love correcting that which revolts against love. I want you to think today about how you can grow your awareness and your relationships and your commitment to biblical justice today. And I I want you to do that as you, you're going to watch this video here in just a moment. And I just want to say this, when this video is done playing, if you want to pray today, if God is impressing something on your heart today, if you need to begin a relationship with the Lord today, I would love to meet you right over here at Decision Point. If you're watching online, just go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision to begin that conversation. And as you leave today, it's an opportunity to give to the Lord, to support what he's doing as we see his kingdom advanced And you can do that at our website that's on the screen there or through our text-to-give phone number that you see on that screen as well. These are ways that you can support what God is doing. But give your attention to the screen. And when this is done playing, I'll meet you at Decision Point. God bless you with discomfort. Discomfort at easy answers. 
half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger, anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears. Tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. May God bless you with foolishness. Enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world. claim cannot be done. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.